Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry. Derek, how are you on this Tuesday? Doing well, Sean. Looking forward to talking a little hoops. Mailbag. Basketball mailbag, yeah. Mailbag Tuesday. So we've had Mailbag (laughs) Fridays. We've had Mailbag Mondays. Now we got Mailbag Tuesday at some point. Derek, I'm sure we'll hit Wednesday, Thursday, Saturday, and Sunday for mailbags before we know it. So uh, one thing I'm going to get out here, obviously you all know by now that Derek Lively is headed to Duke, and we know that that's not an option anymore for Kentucky. Kentucky's going to move on to Adembona and others. So any questions that were submitted, we were not able to record the basketball mailbag because the football mailbag was so deep, which is a good thing. We really enjoy that, that we we didn't realize how deep the mailbag was until we got into direct messages and stuff, Derek. So we were expecting, what, a 30-minute episode and then cutting it and doing basketball and ended up being almost an hour for football. So we're not going to, if there's questions about Derek Lively and where he's going, we're going to just skip over those. Appreciate you submitting them, but I'm hoping that we can touch on some other things that you all want to have answered. So Derek, let's just jump in. And I will ask, I will mention this one by Brandon because he says, if we lose out on Lively, do you still believe the possible additions of Bona and Wallace will give us the number one recruiting class? Is there a surprise recruit that Kentucky goes out and gets that can benefit on this guard-heavy offense for next season? Derek, the way Duke has Lively in this class, if they get the guys that they're targeting that they're favorites for, they would have six to Kentucky's five. That would make up the difference in number one and number two. Now, if Kentucky finds a guy here in the process between the fall and the spring that they like, you could maybe see them push for number one, but I'm going to say that Duke ends with one Kentucky ends with two. Yeah. I'm with you on that. I think uh, lively was pretty much the difference maker in the number one class. Um, And yeah, I I don't have the calculator pulled up, but I do think mostly the only way it would be, I think even close is if Kentucky also signed six, like Duke is planning to. And at this point, I don't, not saying they won't sign six. I just don't see a sixth guy there. And at this point, if they did add someone, it would probably for sure have to be in the spring, don't you think? Once they yes. see kind of how the rosters played out. So um, well, they're going to have their class wrapped up before yep. the season really kicks off. Like yeah. it's going to be done, which is an advantage because then you can kind of look at what you have. And here's the other thing, too, Derek. I said this uh, yesterday to someone that. You all, you you have mid-year transfers. Kentucky's had them. Every school has them. Somebody's not happy, or they they it's not the experience they thought it was. Like a Khalil Whitney left mid-year that opens up a spot. You have surprise guys that leave for the NBA draft. Like we have no idea what this roster is going to look like in the spring. Then it comes down to, is there a high school target or is it the transfer portal? And the way that this thing is shaping up in college basketball, I think Cal is going to save those spring additions for experience in the transfer portal, the way he's blending this high school talent together. I think that's the perfect mix that he's going to go for. So I'm saying if Kentucky adds someone else in the spring, it'll likely be a transfer. Yeah, it seems like with the portal, I mean, the days of – unless it's like a Jalen Duran top prospect, the days of the reclassification, I don't don't think they're really going to have to rely on that ever again to fill out a roster unless it is just a truly elite talent. Um, I'm with you. I think, I think it's maybe shaping up to be the perfect scenario for at least for the guys who were on the team this year and and might have a decision whether to come back or not, because 
you will know most likely the five guys who will be coming in. And then, of course, I mean, it's harder. It's it's harder to kind of determine who will be in the portal. But I think there will be a little bit more information for the guys that will be having to decide what to do um, following the season. And really, Sean, I don't – you're on the five. I think there's a pretty good chance, like, probably at least three or four will be, will be back off this team. I don't – I don't think you're going to see anywhere near the reliance on the portal next season. I really think that's going to be kind of a an ebb and flow for the portal in a lot well, of years. It will. And you remember Cal's first year at Kentucky, he used what to get the program back? He used high school recruiting. I think that the portal was of that of equal importance to Kentucky going into this season because it got Kentucky. Because I mean, look, this team was not going to be good without the transfer portal additions. It no. was not going to be good. So that gets you back on track. And now it's it, it's kind of in a sense that he's going back to what he did in 2009, going back to, to getting that and, and bringing in the, the elite high school guys. Uh, which probably – uh, well, just real quick, this is probably not a great exercise to do just because it's probably harder than ever to predict who will come back or not. Does that three to four guys off this team coming back sound about right to you? I mean, I can think. I think you can maybe even make a case for more potentially. You, you but could. Uh, I think Frederick is going to be back. I think Allen very well could. I think Ware and Toppin, two other guys. I think that's four just right there. And that's not even counting any of those freshmen that who knows how their season's going to go. And I still don't think that Damian Collins is a one and done. She could probably, you know what I mean? I think there's going to be a pretty good mixture. And he, and he may. He might end up making me look like a fool, but I just think that Damian Collins is going to struggle his way through a lot this season. I really do. And I'm just hoping that it's not a struggle to the point that Kentucky ends up not being a fit. I hope that he stays the course because I do think he has a ton of upside potential. I just think that 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 upside and potential is beyond his freshman season. Just given his body and the way he looks like I saw, it's, it's changing. He looks stronger. I saw him up close Saturday, but there's still, there's still something there that I just think he's going to get shoved around a lot, but his athleticism, Derek, there was a, I took a picture Saturday and his elbows above the rim on a dunk that he had. I mean, it's just the most insane. He's, he might actually hit his head on the rim at some point. I mean, I don't know what Ty Ty is going to do. I know it sounds like he drew some really rave reviews out of uh, the thing on Saturday night, but I mean, honestly, and I don't want to derail this mail bag into this, but like, I think there's a path that Collins and, Hopkins could both be starters yeah. next season. So. Yeah, and Hopkins' body looks ready right now. That I, I think that he could be a surprise guy on this team. We obviously know that Jacob Toppin's dealing with an injury right now, so Hopkins has a leg up mm-hmm. on that one in getting some early practice time here, getting those reps, and then moving throughout the season. We'll have to see what happens there. But, yeah, I, I don't think that it – I mean, you don't, you're not derailing this because obviously it kind of plays into what we're talking about. Like, we have yeah. to – we kind of have to talk about who could possibly be back, which I know we started this conversation a lot earlier than we have any <laughs> other year, uh, but it just it feels a little different with this group that they have. But getting into Jonathan's question here, he says, how is Kentucky back to dominance in recruiting if we have the second-best class? Is there any way with Bono we move to first by the end of the year? For some reason, I'm getting a bit skeptical. Coach K has some mystical juju Cal can't seem to get past. To address the question about back to dominance, Derek, and, and they may end up with number two. And that number looks the same. 
as it always does you can like two you write two so many like you can write two and two and two and it all looks the same what is different is when you dive inside of that class and you look at the makeup of it and the guys you got to go off what's the talent in each class like we know every year like for instance 22 is more talented than 21 when it comes to recruiting classes so you have to take into those accounts but i think it's you look at the guys like shade and sharp a Chris Livingston, who I went back last night and read a story from a month ago about UK basketball recruiting. At no point was he mentioned as a possible addition to this recruiting class, Derek. That's how recruiting changes from week to week, day to day, honestly. But if this class ends up with three surefire top 10 guys, depending on where Bona ends up, if they end up getting Bona and they get Case and Wallace, they could still have four top 10 guys. So when you go inside that class and you look at it, Sure, it's the second-rate class, but it's not to knock what Duke's doing as well. We're talking about Kentucky having a super class. Guess what? Duke does too. They do. Um, I mean, if you go to that top ten, it is like, uh, especially in the composite, you're going to have most likely one, two, three, four, five, six. Six of the top ten guys are either going to be going to Duke or Kentucky. Mm -hmm. And by the composite, I mean, UK's going to have three top seven guys. It's assuming they get Wallace. There's and not going to be a gap between one and two. The gap's going to be between two and three. That's the, where uh, the, the, the team ranking. Yes, yeah. that's where the yeah. massive drop off is going to be. So, just because Kentucky may end up with number two does not mean it's not a dominant class. It is a dominant class because Duke's is dominant too, which makes yeah. which makes that game to me on the opening night of the college of basketball season, Derek, even bigger. Because you're you're having it's Kay's last game, but to me it's more about Kentucky and Duke moving forward. It's about John Shire. It's about getting some of that momentum in your favor. This is kind of the, the battles with Derek Lively and these other recruits. We know Kentucky's going to go head to head in every single year with a couple of guys. It's about the small battles within the big battle to me, and I think that that game is it looms large, honestly. Yeah, and I don't I don't know Jonathan if he was. Like, I know from myself personally, I think a week ago today even, I wrote a story. I mean, maybe people were caught up in, in the momentum they had, but I think this time a week ago, people thought Live was going to come to UK. So when I wrote the story on – I mean, he, he was – at this point, he was a difference in talking about potentially having the best class ever. So I don't think uh, – on paper, in the internet era – so I don't think there's any way you can say that it wasn't going to be dominance in recruiting if they would have landed him. And even without him, this class is still going to be very, very good, even if it does finish number two, which it most likely will. I would also make a point, I, I think, and probably more so in football, but I think basketball too, I, I think the recruiting rankings are going to become a little bit more irrelevant as time goes on with the transfer portal. I say football because I mean teams are going to be allowed to add up to seven players here pretty soon. If you know, if you have seven guys leave or whatever, like you can add up to seven from the portal. It's just going to be so many more newcomers in different ways that I think it's just going to not matter quite as much. But with basketball, I mean, if you get sharp, which they already have, Livingston, Wallace, Clark, and Bona, if that is your class, that is a phenomenal recruiting class to build around for next year. But uh, the point I want to talk about with Jonathan's question. You mentioned Coach K. Uh, I don't really want to talk about Coach K. To me, I've never 
I don't think there's ever been a guy, and maybe he's in the best situation possible. There is still a lot of buy-in for sure with John Shire. I'm a little surprised, to be honest, that they've recruited this well without him ever coaching a game. I mean, they're going to have three top ten guys. I mean, are you surprised that yeah, they're still recruiting this well? I am, but it, it just kind of shows you that that Duke brand. We talk about the Kentucky brand a lot. I'm, I'm telling you, I know it's easy for Kentucky fans to hate Duke. I was one of those people that absolutely hated Duke, but you got to respect what they're doing. They're still able to get it done just the same way Duke fans have to respect what Kentucky does. They're both a force on the recruiting trail, and it makes it it makes recruiting kind of entertaining to talk about because you honestly don't know. Those dudes are going to go head-to-head. Kentucky's going to win some. Duke's going to win some. It's going to be the same thing on the court uh, when they step on the floor. Like, Kentucky's won games. Duke's won games, which leads me into a couple of questions about Duke and what makes them so cool. Ben ask a question, and then uh, we have another one at the bottom from King Solomon, who enters the mailbag again. He says, uh, Ben goes, this probably can't be answered, but what makes Duke so freaking cool? I mean, since 1516, we have basically had the same success, but every head-to-head recruiting battle since then, they have won. I just can't wrap my small adult brain around it. And then King Solomon goes, can we extinguish Duke from the planet? Seriously, though, what's the latest on Wallace and Bona? What is it about Duke that makes them so cool, Derek? What what was it about Kentucky that made them so cool early on? Was it is it the NBA? Is it just the way that they market their players? I mean, what what is going on here? But it, it does seem like that Kentucky loses these battles to Duke more often than they win them, especially when it comes to elite big men. Yeah, it's definitely been that way lately. I don't I don't know what it is. Uh I mean that's why I kind of felt like there would be a bit of a reset. I felt like UK head-to-head without Coach K there. I, I thought they would do a pretty good job getting some of these guys. But this this representation, I guess, of coaching waiting is, um, I mean, up to this point, it's probably the most perfect transition I think I've seen uh, following it. And, I mean, it's – you hope Kentucky has the same one, right? I don't. Whenever it comes down to it. I just don't see that same scenario being able to play mm-hmm. out. Like, I think Kentucky's going to have to hire outside of, uh, outside of that. And, I mean, it right. remains to be seen whether Shire can, you know, whether he how, he how he runs his program, how the guys respond to him. There's a lot of questions there. But he's going to be stepping into, like, uh, like you would think a ready-to-win team, wouldn't you, wouldn't you say? He will. And question for you here. Kentucky was the cool school, and they're still a cool school. When you talk to to recruits and you see the way it goes, everybody wants Kentucky. Everybody wants Duke. But when you go back, a, a lot of fans point to that night in Indianapolis when Kentucky finished 38-1, and and then Duke goes on and wins a national championship, Derek. And, and a lot of fans, I mean, you see it all the time. Fans have said that's the night the program changed. That's the night Kentucky lost their momentum. They've not been back to a Final Four since. I, I get that argument. The, the more it went on, as it went through it, I'm just like, no, that, that didn't do that. But I'm going to ask you now, how much momentum did Kentucky lose that night by not finishing it off, Duke winning a title? Because it did change after that. I mean, since 15-16, Duke has been getting the guys. Do you think that that had any outcome on it at all? Um. I mean, obviously, I don't know. I've never really thought about season. it. I mean, obviously, Kentucky had a really good year two years later with Fox and Monk and Bam and had a team that was good enough to win a title. But you get what I'm saying? Like with some momentum shifting there. I mean, do the fans have a little bit of an argument 
to say that that did shift momentum? I mean, because you went from Kentucky being historic to, of all teams, to kind of go in there and take it. Duke gets it, the second one in that decade, that Kentucky didn't get a second one. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know how much that one that one game – like, I think both programs are going to remain strong regardless. Um, to me, the bigger storyline, maybe because I was in Lexington, but I felt like UK was the storyline the whole season. Yeah. And it was like kind of Duke benefited. But it was a very strong year for college basketball that year in 2015. The teams at the top were very, very good. I'm wondering now, Sean, a little bit what like the Zion factor yeah. is because he had a lot of kids now who, let's say these guys are probably like early high school. No, probably, yeah, probably early high school or late middle school, you know. But that had about as much media coverage as I can remember a single college basketball player getting um, Zion at Duke. And I'm wondering, you know, how much of a role that might play just um with the branding that they were able to have there but i don't i don't know i mean it's uh yes uk has continued to recruit pretty good five-star players but up until getting this coaching staff reorganized i'm not trying to throw anybody on the bus on the coaching staff so i tried to avoid that as much as i could i think i think they weren't as equipped this last five years Absolutely. On, on the recruiting trail to get the guys that they needed to. And I think Duke yeah. remained in the spot where they were capable of doing that. And now I think, at least for the foreseeable future, the next two to three years, certainly with this staff they have in place, I think you're going to see, honestly, a lot like this year. I think you're going to see the majority of the top 10 guys go to Kentucky or Duke, would be my guess. Maybe, maybe someone else can sneak in there. Maybe Kansas can get out. I don't know. You know, we'll see. Um, you, but you I think Kentucky's in a spot they can. They can get these top guys again. You weren't getting Zion Williamson with the staff Kentucky had in place. No. You weren't getting those guys. And I, I'm, I hate to say it, but if Orlando Antigua's on staff, you're you're getting those guys. Derek, I mean, obviously, you look at it right now. Something's changed since he's been in Lexington. I mean, Sharp, they were already trending to get. But then Chris Livingston comes out of nowhere, and you, you're in good position with that. So something has changed. Whether it was it whether it was Antigua or whether it was something that Antigua brought out within Cal, that motivation. I, I don't know. Something is different now, which bodes well moving forward. But that's why I think that that game on the opening night of the season, less than two months away now, I just think it's a massive game because you kind of want to get some of that momentum. You, the last time they played, Duke just completely destroyed Kentucky. You you want to get some of that momentum back in this in this kind of it, it's a rivalry it's a rivalry that's not played every year uh but let's move on to a question here about i saw one about reed shepherd i'm trying to see if i can find it again yeah it's right here do you think reed shepherd will finish as a consensus five star and in the top 20 that question came from nick that's a good one where, where is he in the composite right now I think he's in the 30s. Let me check. Um, he, he had a pretty big, obviously, with rivals naming him as a five star. He uh, he moved up quite a bit. He's 30, 34. In the composite? 34 in the composite. And there's only 22 five stars in the composite right now. That'll, that'll, there'll be more as time goes on. But so right now he's 12 spots from. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? 
That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And ESPN has him 37th. So Rivals has him before. I'm going to say he finishes just outside of that. What do you think? I don't think he gets to the top 20. I think he will. Um, I was reading a story on 2023 updates for Devin Reed. I think he's going to get a fifth star from 24-7 as well. Um, and if that's the case, where's he at on rivals? He's like in the he's the low five star range, right? Like, just, yeah, I think he was the last one, wasn't he? Might be. So I think that's probably where he'll be. I think uh, what was it, top? What do you ask? Do you, top twenty. I think he'll be more like in the twenty five range. And do you think he'll be right on the cusp? And it's more about his exposure in the summer than mm-hmm. it is anything else, isn't it? It's not about because he's not playing. He's not getting those matchups in state in the thirteenth region. That's really going to generate a lot of buzz. <laughs> No offense. I mean, I we're 13th region guys. We know that. that. That's not – I mean, there's good basketball down here, but it's not enough to generate that buzz. Now, I'll say this. If he commits to Kentucky, then I could see that ranking going up a little bit more even as well. I mean, he's going to have, obviously get a bump from doing that. Uh, I mean, obviously, if he gets another five-star from 24-7, then, yeah, he could very well potentially get there, which would be an incredible story for a kid from this part of the state. Hard to believe for people who grew up in that area. I mean, that, that, uh, I mean, Andrew Taylor played at Corbin a few years ago and he's been at Marshall and he's, I, I think he's had a pretty good career and he was about as good as any players I've, I've seen down there. So it's hard for me to wrap my head around that someone could be that much better and playing down there. But no, I think, um, Reed, I mean, he, that next spring, uh, I mean, he might get some five-star status from 24-7 this fall, but next spring and he gets back out there on the circuit, that'll be where he'll have his chance to kind of solidify where he is in the class as a whole. But it seems like everyone who's ever watched him play, all the scouts, all the evaluators, have come, come away very impressed um, with his ability. I'm trying to find some some other questions here. Well, Zach has one that actually involves Reed Shepard in my DMs. He said, seeing okay. how this class has the potential to turn out, do you think Cal pushes for a commitment from a DJ Wagner or Reed Shepard, someone from 23 class to be the inside recruiter like Sky has been? Livingston mentioned he has known Sky for quite a while and was a big part of him coming. Second question, in the interview with Jason Jordan of Sports Illustrated, was it concerning at all on Livingston's remarks about Ohio State? Livingston hinted as if he was not fully committed and made a knee-jerk reaction. I didn't listen to that entire interview. Did no, you? That's first I've heard of this. Yeah, I might need to. I might need to go listen to that before I, I want to listen to it before I comment on it. But back to the first question: Do you see him trying to push for one of those guys? I mean, obviously, this thing we had Travis Brenham on the show last week, and he mentioned that Virginia is right there with Kentucky 
at the forefront of this recruitment for Reed Shepard, but how big would it be to kind of get the in-state kid locked up? You already know that if, if DJ Wagner plays college basketball, it's likely going to be at Kentucky. So you've got a great start there. How, how, how big would it be to kind of get one of those guys to pull the trigger early? I mean, for Reed, it's going to be a big story for sure, no matter whenever he decides to commit just because he's local and a legacy. Um, you know, Duke already has a five-star in that class, Caleb Foster. Uh, and they've got a good chance to get uh, Mbako. Is that his name? Yeah. I kept saying it the other day. It was a fun name to say. Probably going to get him. Um, I, I'm never sure. I mean, if – I'm not saying it's overrated. I just – I truly do think – I mean, basketball is probably a little bit more so. You get guys that do want to play uh, with one another. But – same thing we talked about, though. I think, Sean, would be my thoughts is, like, people were stressed when they didn't have any commitments, like, in August or whatever. And now they got – or, well, they only had one with Scott. But now they got Shaden and Livingston, probably going to get Wallace. Like, I, I'm not saying it's overblown. I just think whenever they get the guys rolling in, it's – I don't know how big of the, the momentum is really going to be. Like, to get someone right now, I'm not sure it's really going to mean a whole lot, to be honest. Yeah. And I don't know if Ryan wanted this to be a mailbag question, but I'm going to turn it into one. <laughs> he, he was talking to me some in DMs. I'm just now seeing these. He said, Cal is preaching a four-out, one-in offense, and Lively is a five that likes to float. Is that why we missed? Mm, I don't think so. Is it ever just one thing that, you know what I mean, like causes people to make this? I don't know, like – that's that's honestly a question we cannot answer like we do not know why Derek lively we like don't the reasons. so i mean we don't we have we have no idea honestly what goes what goes on inside these kids heads like i said it it changes yeah. all the time that's like you know i was talking to jack last night and we were talking about case and wallace and tennessee staff feels cautiously optimistic after that visit and I said, how many times do we hear the term cautiously optimistic when it comes to college basketball recruiting? How many times did we hear that from Kentucky about Jalen Duran? They're cautiously optimistic. There's a difference in cautiously optimistic and confident. Yeah. There's two totally different C's there. <laughs> like confident <laughs> and cautiously. So I don't really know why Kentucky missed on Derek Lively. I don't like, uh, but I, all I know is if they can land a Dembona, Derek, it's, and I'm, I'm not looking at a Dembona as a, a second place. I think a Dembona is a very, you could make a case that he actually fits better with the guys they have than what Lively did. Obviously, if you're a Kentucky fan, I would tell you that I would have wanted Derek Lively ahead of a Dem, but that's why we play the game, right? If a Dembona ends up at Kentucky, it may end up being a better fit. I don't know. We'll have to, We'll have to see what happens. Ryan has a question, though, for basketball. I believe this recruiting class can still be special, but most of fans' expectation hinged on getting both sharp and lively. I agree with that. One mm -hmm. and two, you know that they wanted it again, Derek. If he commits to Duke, which he did, along with Sterling and Mitchell, while Kentucky gets Bona and Wallace as expected, then Duke finishes with a top class. Do you feel Kentucky tries to add one more big through the transfer portal or hope for Bona, Hopkins, Top, and Ware to be enough? If Collins and or Oscar come back, this becomes irrelevant. So are there any behind-the-scenes rumblings about any current front court pieces looking like they may be back another year or be gone after this coming season? I will say there's no rumblings because we have no idea yet 
until we start playing. But that kind of plays into what you brought up early in this episode, that if there's some guys coming back, then this doesn't hurt you as badly as it would have. Or they could look at the portal and go get a big late. Yeah, I think uh, I think Bona and they're going to keep the four outlook. You're going to have Toppin most likely and probably Hopkins, unless Hopkins is just way better than anyone's giving them credit for. Um, I, I could see a scenario where they don't add another big from the portal, but I agree with uh, – I don't know if I'm agreeing with them or, or just what he said. Like, I think if Collins and Sheba are both gone, then yes. I think you would probably add somebody else, but I'm thinking like four could be like Bona, one of Collins or Shibway. And then if you have Top and Hopkins, where any of those combo, those three, as long as you have two of those guys, I would, I would say it might be hard to get like a good portal big. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like you probably hard. find a body to come in and, and play, but to get like a difference maker, I think it'd be far more challenging at that point. Two fun questions here to wrap this thing up. Corey says, I, I, the first first mailbag question I had for you, he had a football one, which we answered yesterday. If you and Derek had to create a Mount Rushmore consisting of the best assistant coaches ever at UK in football and basketball, who would they be and why? Mine would be Coach O, Kenny Payne, Vince Merrow, and Joe B. Hall. It's a really good list. Are we going off what they did for Kentucky or what they did for their career? Because wouldn't Billy Donovan have to be like on there? Billy Donovan was going to be on my list if we're yeah. talking about their career. Um, uh, my man at Florida State, Leonard Hamilton. Hamilton. I knew his first name was Leonard. I was, <laughs> I was about to say Leonard Floyd. I think he's an NFL player. So uh, yeah, Leonard Hamilton. I mean, like he's gone on to have a great career. Um, Kenny's got to be on that list, right? Kenny Payne. The one for sure, I mean, Miro for sure is yeah. on there. Um, and I would say Kenny too, just for how important he was. This is a good question. It is a good question. How do you want to do it? Do you want to do it based off what they turned out to be or what they meant to UK? Hmm. My guess is he probably meant what they meant to UK. And, and if Joe B's on, much. Joe B has to be on the list too. I mean, he won a national championship, right? So that's yeah. that has to go on the list. So I would say Joe B – Kenny and Vince for sure. So our, is our list going to end up being the same? Is it Coach O? Is there, or can we find another one somewhere through there that uh, – Tubby Smith. Tubby Smith. Tubby was an assistant with Patino, right? Yeah. And then he won um, a national championship, so I would go Tubby. <laughs> You're thinking hard, aren't you? I'm trying, I was trying to think of any more football people could even kind of be in the debate. Um, yeah. Obviously, they've had Joker some guys. Phillips' career on. would have been better. It would have been a little bit easier, right? Yeah, yeah. Joker, I mean, he was a good Actually, OCC. I'm going to go a different route. I'm going to throw I'm going to throw John Schlarman on there. Yeah, that's a good one. What what he did Help was – establish that identity, yeah. What he did was remarkable. I'll throw Tubby on there as well. Yeah, I'll go Miro – um, Joe B. Who, uh, there's so many names going through my head right now. I just got confused. Kenny, Kenny Payne. I know. I don't know that Kenny would be on mine, man. To be oh. honest with you, I don't. I don't think he well, would be. Yeah. What? What really? I mean, he won some recruiting battles, and he 
was really great with bigs, but when you think about it, like what actual things do we have to look at that he actually did? Tubby won a title. Joby Hall won a title. We know what Vince Merrill's done for recruiting there in football. There's some substance to those guys that maybe Kenny doesn't have. Certainly, certainly one of the best basketball assistants they've ever had, though, by far. If we're talking career, though, Billy Donovan would have been tops on this list. I mean, Kenny would be on my Mount Rushmore for interviews by assistant coaches. Great, great guy to talk to. Yeah. If you went two and two, I think, I definitely think Marrow and Schlarman. People also, I don't know, like, or who our oldest listener would be. Like, we're a little, our, I can't go back to the 1977 football team and talk about who their best. I, I couldn't name a single assistant on their team. So, like, we're basically going from, at least for me, it's like 05 on. And uh, I think those two, I mean, let me ask you this, though. Uh, no, it might be a bit of a hot topic. Uh, <laughs> come on now. <laughs> no, what I'm going to ask is like, is, is where does Eddie Grant have a case? I guess it would be my question. Not trying to compare him to what, what he have a case to be on there. Scorching hot. Um, what, what did he have as much of a case as Schlarman? I guess. Would be, I mean, he was the offensive coordinator for uh, the best season that they've had since the seventies. He, constructed out of nowhere of basically a form like a good offense with Lynn Bowden at QB. Like I think there's probably a case for him to be at least acknowledged in the conversation. I'm not saying he has to end up there, but I think he's got a better case than, than some other people for sure. This would have been a very good, just episode topic. Like <laughs> I a, that for a summer episode. Might have yeah. Been Maybe we can revisit this too in the back. summer for sure. We got, we got another one here, which this one's easier. This is from Shane. He he said, you all answered all my questions on the football recap, so only a fun one today. Who's your all-time favorite sports figure, whether it's media, player, coach, or owner? Mine has always been Ken Griffey Jr. Ah, me too. I've always been Ken Griffey Jr. Like, I was blowing the bubbles as a kid and everything. Like, I was all about Ken Griffey Jr. Still to this day, Ken Griffey Jr., Ever yeah, tell you my story he, about me meeting that me getting to meet him? No, I've not heard this. So I was living in Alabama coaching high school basketball at a very young age, took over a job there. And they were doing this biking, this bike ride across the state. And it was, I can't remember what it was the benefit was for, but it was raising money for a foundation. And he comes through this very small town of Alabama, population literally like 600 people that I lived in and he's at a gas station on a bike King Griffey jr. In the middle of Alabama. That's my story of how I met him. The most bizarre random place, me coaching one year of high school basketball, filling in for a situation. And then King Griffey jr. Ends up in that town at a gas station, stopping to fuel up on some water. I'm going to guess for anyone who really liked baseball and you were born in like the mid 1980s to mid-1990s, maybe a little later, late-90s. I would say probably more mid-90s. Like, I think he is a lot of people's favorite. Just the game, I can't uh, – maybe I was five, six. I don't, I don't remember, like, pitch by pitch. Obviously, I was a young kid. But it was the Cardinals and Reds playing in Riverfront. And Griffey homered, Mark McGuire homered. And I remember this <laughs> as they went back-to-back, but also Edgar Renteria, if you remember him. Yeah. Um, 
he was a shortstop, I believe, for the I think he might even end up playing for the Reds at one point he did. late in his career. Uh those guys all homered. And uh, I like I can remember that as a kid. I saw end up writing a story in college about this um for one of my classes. Like I saw Griffey hit a walk-off against the Dodgers in probably 2003 or 2004. And I mean, at that point, like the Griffey I got to see. Like, I do not remember him playing for Seattle in the 90s, but, like, I remember him being in Cincinnati. But I've watched his, you know, YouTube highlights plenty of times. Um, I mean, he was just the man. Uh, I never had, like, a favorite in any other sport. Like, Griffey was my favorite. Like, I think basketball was, like, on a Tracy McGrady kick there for a while when I was a kid. Like, I liked him when he played for the Rockets. NFL, my dad was a Steelers fan, so I grew up watching them, but I didn't have, like, a – favorite player um do you have any like uh coaches owners anything like that that you you really enjoyed mm. i'll tell you i hate the red's owners i'll tell you that much yeah. I hate Bob <laughs> you, talk about, you talk about them all the time <laughs> i'm thinking as far as coaches i'm having to think here I've, I've done i've been to numerous coaches clinics and and things like that i've I've, I know we cover him. I've always been a big fan of Cal and just his his mind and things like that. But uh, I'm thinking here, Bob Huggins. I've always enjoyed Bob Huggins' stuff and the things that he puts out for for coaches and things behind the scenes. Some of the videos. Uh, he's got a great basketball mind as well. His his pressure defense, things like that. That's what I kind of look at on the coaching front. Is are those guys that I really kind of relate to um, kind of mimic some things, certain things that people do. And I think that makes it kind of fun. Do you have any in media? Uh, like media personalities? Yeah. I wouldn't even call them a personality, but um, my favorite writer, I mean, two of them, one's not even a writer anymore. He works for the Raptors. But when I was in college, I, I loved Luke Wynn. He worked for Sports Illustrated and, um, he, I don't know. I just know as soon as he went to the Raptors, they won the championship. So I don't know what he was doing or how much of a role he played. But um, for the most part in this business, people, I would say like 90, 99% of people like helping you out. And uh, when I was in college, I tried to reach out to a lot of people that I enjoyed reading. And Luke, uh, I remember he called me one summer and I appreciated that a lot. And then uh, the other guy I really like is Eli Saslow, who is. I guess a features writer for the Washington Post who also uh, used to do some work for ESPN. I'm not sure if he still does, but he wrote a few great sports stories. Um, I've never met Eli, um, exchanged emails with him, bought a couple of his books, but uh, that's the unfortunate kind of reality of this business though. I mean, a lot of talented people leave and nothing got fit Luke. I mean, I think that was a loss for the college basketball community whenever he stopped writing about college hoops because probably one of the earlier guys I would say who was very kind of analytics and data driven. And it's probably what helped him get a job, honestly, with the Raptors. Yeah. Cool question. Really cool question. Something different for us to wrap this episode up with. Uh, as always, this is powered by Blue Wire Pods. It's also powered by the Butcher's Pub, three locations, Palmville, Williamsburg, and London, Kentucky. You can visit thebutcherspub.com. Or check them out on Facebook. Stay tuned to Kentucky Daily throughout the week. We're going to have a breakdown episode with a writer from South Carolina. Derek, I don't know if you want to preview that for a moment and maybe give everybody an idea of what's coming up on Wednesday. Yeah. Um, he works for Gamecock Central, Colin Taylor. 
I've known Carlin for probably five or six years. He graduated from South Carolina the same year I graduated from UK. And um, he'll join us. You'll probably get that episode tomorrow evening. I don't think he's set to come on until about three. Um, but then, yeah, Thursday we got got a guest most likely coming on. And then, of course, we'll also have the preview for South Carolina on Friday. So plenty, plenty coming your way um, on you know, the rest of this week up until, up until the game on Saturday night. Yeah. And uh, working on a couple more episodes for the week as well, if I can get it done. I know I mentioned Derek Abney. I'm still trying to make sure that we can get that in, just waiting to see if he can fit it in. And then uh, obviously Kentucky's 2022 schedule for football. We'll be talking about that as well for, for an episode. So a short episode coming with that. So plenty of coverage, have post-game episode coming from South Carolina this weekend. So stay tuned to Kentucky Daily. Until then, he's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith.